1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for all qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. CT Mobile.com.
0: This time on Vet Story. I never thought that I'd be staying here today. The insurgents had the higher ground, so they were firing down on him
1: the entire time. That's probably the weirdest part about, you know about the whole day is like, I, I seriously never thought I'd make it out of their alive. Nobody joins the military to get a Medal of Honor because the price it's paid for that is astronomical. All well, right, Like, oh, well, you don't know what it's like to watch your friends die, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just I look back at them. I made myself the victim. I fought for this country. This country owes me it's like, this country doesn't owe me shit. You can't get out of the military and your plan is to be a great veteran. Like, that's not your identity. And so I just pulled over and, you know, I, I stuck a gun to my head and squeezed the trigger and... Look, if it's really that bad, rack it back and put the, put the gun to your head and get it over with. But if you drive out of here, and don't look back. Like, stop being selfish. Stop putting yourself first. And I can tell you right now that there's everybody on the face of this planet today is going through something. Take a deep breath, step back, go out there and connect with people. Welcome to
0: Vet Story. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now on Vet Story, I've had the honor to have conversations with some really awesome Americans. I've talked to combat vets and special operations types. I've learned from entrepreneurs and authors, farmers, musicians, and more. But I gotta be honest, today's guest not only changed the way I think about life, but I think can actually change yours. Marine Corps veteran, Dakota Meyer. He's a father, an author, a public speaker, a motivator. Hell, he's probably one of America's best known Marine Corps veterans. He's a former sniper, and he's a guy who has a 20-year-old Marine had to endure things that would bring most of us to our knees. His time as a Marine will be remembered for fighting the Taliban with the kind of bravery and intensity that is truly rare. To give you a glimpse of that, here's an excerpt from his book, Into the Fire. In the fall of 2009, Taliban insurgents ambushed a patrol of Afghan soldiers and Marine advisors in a mountain village called Ganjagal. Firing from entrenched positions, The enemy was positioned to wipe out 100 men who were pinned down and were repeatedly refused artillery support. Dakota Meyer was ordered to remain back behind with the vehicles. The 21-year-old Marine Corporal disobeyed orders, eventually standing up and attacking himself, all in an attempt to rescue his comrades. With a brave fellow Marine at the wheel, Meyer stood in the gun turret of a Humvee exposed to withering fire. Rallying Afghan troops to follow him. And over the course of five hours, he charged into the valley time and time again. There he fought the deadly Taliban fighters face to face, using machine guns, rifles, grenade launchers, even killing one terrorist with a rock. Meyer repeatedly repulsed enemy attackers. He carried wounded Afghan soldiers to safety. And he provided cover for dozens of others to escape. For those actions, Meyer would receive the Medal of Honor. But the Dakota Meyer we'll talk to today is not just about war stories and heroics. Dakota will share with us the mistakes he's made, his own suicide attempt, and the deal he made with his soul in order to even be here today. What I really liked about the interview is he also shares some tough medicine that so many people battling mental health issues need to hear. And in a very candid part of the interview, Meyer explained why many of us today are living with an identity that, in the end, is actually holding us back. This is my conversation with Dakota Meyer. Dakota, super glad to have you, buddy. No, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man, as we just heard in the read-in, wow, Uh, you know, we could go on and on and on, and I could go in a hundred different directions, and I want to get a little taste of each of the major accomplishments you've made, but also kind of want to get to know you, and uh, you know, it's fall, or we're coming on September now, so it's a season full of anniversaries. Um, Before we get to all the big benchmarks, I want to talk a little bit about who Dakota Meyer is, and I heard you in another interview... Sum up your existence before the Marine Corps as three F's, farms, football, and females. Talk to me about growing up in Kentucky, man.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. I grew up in a small town, um, you know, on a farm. And I grew up farming and, you know, chasing girls when I was, you know, when I was in high school. I mean, I think that's what most, most guys do. And then, um, and playing football, right? That was kind of my life.
0: Now, you could have played football in college, from what I understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to be one of those guys. Like, I feel like in the military, you always have those guys like, yeah, you know, I could have went and played D1 football, but I went and did this. It's like, I, I, I couldn't have went and played D1 football. I, mean, I could have walked on somewhere, probably. But, you know, I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I was decent.
0: Now, uh, Marine Corps, and I know we all stood at that moment in our life when we knew we were going to enlist in the military, and uh, I was inspired by my, my older brother, so I went Navy. Yeah, but based on my behavior, I think I probably would have made a good Marine because I got in a little too much trouble, man. Jagermeister and fighting were like two of my favorite things when I was a young enlisted guy. Uh, yeah,
1: well, you'd have been, you'd have been a good Marine. <laughs> I
0: mean, I just loved that, shit, and I got into trouble a lot. But what I do remember most about just being enlisted and having some fun in the early days uh, were the, like the the ball busting and the pranks. And what I remember most about Marines were, like, the sick humor. Like, you guys were literally <laughs> cruel to each other. Uh, it was hilarious to watch uh, in A school. Do you remember any of the good ball busting or any of the pranks that, like, you did on your fellow Marines and
1: stuff? You know, I mean, we I mean we were always doing pranks or, or something like that to each other, right? I mean, it's just that dark sense of humor is just something that you, I, I don't know, I think when you do a job that like we do, if you don't have a dark sense of humor, then, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to fit in. And it's, you just have to have it to do that. I mean, I I mean, there's always something going on at the barracks, right? I mean, that's where (laughs) everything went down. I mean, there's always, you know, somebody couldn't do enough pull-ups, so you duct tape their hands to the pull-up bars um, so they can figure out how to do pull-ups. I mean, you know, just, just, you know, dumb stuff like that or the time a guy didn't show up to water the grass at Italian instead of letting him turn the sprinklers on Making him put the water in his mouth and spit it out like you would have to put the you know, put the water in his mouth with the hose and then spit it out across the grass for five or six hours. <laughs> water the lawn by mouth. <laughs> yeah, well I mean I you know, it 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 shows, you know, the, the lesson of it is is to show up and it's easier to show up on time and turn the sprinklers on than it is to stand there and do it all day with your mouth.
0: <laughs> See, I knew I'd get something from you, Dakota. Good. Good. You are a sick son of a bitch. All right. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You got no idea. I, uh, I got
1: more. I got. I got. I got more games than Milton Bradley.
0: <laughs> All right. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, is being a sniper. The more I've read about that, the crazier that training is, and it's it's like a little known fact that one, it's the, one of the smallest communities in the military, probably the smallest community within the Marine Corps itself. But I was just talking to Jack Murphy not too long ago, who was a sniper, Army style. He was Green Beret and Ranger, but a sniper nonetheless. I was crazy, insanely interested in the training. And what I wanted to ask you about was when you got to, like, phase two. First of all, sniper training uh, for you was in Hawaii, right? It was. Yeah. And you're sweating your ass off in a jungle, I'm kind of envisioning.
1: Yeah, triple canopy.
0: Hot as hell. Um, You get to this thing like phase two, and it's like unknown distance and stalking. And that's what I thought was like crazy cool about sniper training. It's not just squeezing rounds downrange, hitting a target in the bullseye. It's all this other stuff. Talk to me about what phase two was like and the stalking phase. Because from what I understand, you have to be like totally hidden, and then you have to make it close to some kind of observation point and there's a guy walking around trying to see if he can see you and you have to squeeze off well, two shots without getting noticed or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, so the way it goes is, is is you start at a thousand yards or a thousand meters, whichever one you want, whatever it is and basically there's a target that's set out somewhere. Usually it's an observer sitting on the back of a truck with really good optics like uh, you know uh, binoculars or a spot and scope or whatever. Usually there's two of them and they're sitting in the back of the truck looking at this direction. You have a left lateral limit and a right lateral limit, so you have boundaries on either side. So basically it's like a lane, and you can't go past these boundaries. They sit at the end of it on a a vehicle. They are your target, and you have to stalk to them. I think it was within 300 yards, and then you have to take two shots. So you have to take the first shot, and then they get a chance to walk a guy onto you. So basically, there's a guy out there in the stock lane, and the observer. So he goes and gets within, I think it's like 10 feet of you, and then they look in that area to see if they can see you, and they try to walk him onto you. So they'll say, "Take three steps right, right." And then after, if they can't find you, then you take another shot while they're looking in that area. And if they can't and then they get another chance to walk him onto you, and then if they can't walk him onto you, you pass and they can't see the muzzle
0: flare I mean they can't see the the flash yeah. Your flash
1: yeah. yeah I mean you, I mean that's part of you know setting up your hide you have to you know you know like you have to do you have to you know do things to offset that before you take your shot you know if you don't you don't want to have vegetation blowing around the muzzle of your barrel, you know what I mean like you you, hopefully you want to be burning through small vegetation so that you have that between you but you want to make sure that that vegetation's far enough away to where the muzzle blast out doesn't shake that vegetation to give your you know to give you away you, you know, if you're on the ground, you want to make sure you don't have dirt down below you and if you do you want to take your canteen and water it down like to make sure that that dust doesn't blow up when you shoot. I mean there's all kinds of a lot it takes a lot it's a lot of work.
0: That's crazy, and you've got hours to do this, right? So you might take yeah about a, a, four
1: hours of stalk.
0: It is timed. Holy cow! So, but it's a it's a big window of time, is what I'm saying. Like you're not trying to just run up and charge the post. Like you might crawl on your belly for forty minutes and only get like a hundred feet.
1: I mean, four hours is a long time, you know, when you're stalking up on you know something like this. So, I mean, it's not. I mean it it takes a while yeah so i mean it, it i mean you're going to use up a lot of your time it just depends on the area you're at too right i mean if you're in a place that has like uh you know like a little creek to where you can get down in that and crawl through that to get closer then obviously you can move faster there but i mean if you're i mean if you're in a place that's just grass um you know in an open field it's going to take a while man that's awesome
0: that is awesome. And what's the phrase that you have to say when they're trying to walk the guy on you or something? Like it's like sniper at your feet or something. Is that yeah, what
1: you mean? yeah? So, so that's what the guy like when the the spotter or the uh, you know whenever the spotter observer is trying to walk them onto you, they'll say like three steps to your right, one step back, sniper at your feet, and then they say yes or no. So cool. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot to it. You know, people think that sniping is all about shooting, and I mean that's like. Probably it's maybe one percent of being a sniper. Yeah, and in fact,
0: I'd heard you say on one podcast that taking out an enemy is like a math problem.
1: Well, I mean, you know, you got to you got to take your distance into account, you know. So obviously, you got to do for your, you know, you got to figure out what your drop's going to be on your bullet. I mean, you know, wind, all those types of factors. If you're at an angle, you got to calculate in that high angle effect. You know, all those factors. I mean, it's nothing but a it's nothing but a math effect. You know, it's nothing but a math problem to take out. An enemy, that's the easiest part of the job. So the job yeah. goes on,
0: and uh, of course you become a scout sniper and one of the elite, and this is something I found interesting about your first deployment. Uh, Fallujah, right?
1: It, yes, northern Fallujah. So we were in Karma.
0: Yeah, and you were taken out by something that I, I, I found surprising. <laughs> a spider. Okay right yeah. was it something to do on your first appointment got cut short you guys saw some shit but like it got cut short because you you had a serious injury to your hand and in fact almost could have taken the ability to use some of the fingers but it didn't come from like an enemy shot or a mortar blast i mean it, it came from a damn spider
1: yeah i got bit on my right hand by a by a spider and uh we were doing a dwell op we actually were out on a um we'd left out that night crossed this uh canal went two miles over. we were in a place called banana town and um we were actually out there and I, yeah i got bit on my right hand by a spider and uh i mean just started swelling up it was bad it was terrible
0: that's crazy
1: rehab well i had two surgeries in fallujah surgical oh shoot um so they did two surgeries on me in, in fallujah and then they took me they they uh sent me home Mm.
0: And, and again, as a Marine, now you've just got your first command. You're like a young guy. What are you like? 19, 20 years old. I mean like that, you know, you're, pissed off. Yeah, you're pissed off. You're, you're back home. You're wishing you could be back in it. And um, did the guys tease you a little bit about the spider bite or, or, or did they know to like, kind of leave that alone? Cause I know again, the Marines in the sixth sense of humor, anybody bust your chops about it being a spider
1: bite or no, 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 nobody really talked about it. I mean, you know, okay. I came home and I, you know, I mean, they, No, I came home and it was just, you know, I was back to business. Yeah. And then back to
0: business eventually you got, right? Because then a year later or so after some rehab, after all that stuff's healed, uh, you're ready to go back. And uh, somebody says, hey, uh, we're looking for volunteers for a trip to Afghanistan. All expenses paid to the Kunar province. And uh, I can only imagine how many seconds did it take for you to say yes to that.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, I was a sniper team leader, so it's kind of hard. You know, I didn't, uh, my team, I built them up. We were headed to Iraq. We didn't really have a mission. i had always thought that we might get switched to Afghanistan because I knew there was no mission. So I actually trained my guys. We trained to go to Afghanistan. I mean, most of our training was evolved around that because I knew there was a fight there. And, you know, at the end of it, they're like, nope, you're going to Iraq. We had no mission over there. And they came in. And it, So, I mean, it was hard for me to leave my guys. I mean, I had this team. Uh, honestly, I was... The entire team, all of my team was new guys, except for one guy. And he, I mean, everybody on that was new to the sniper platoon, except for me. And, and you know, so it was hard for me to leave those guys. Um, but, I mean, no, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, was, I was, you know, hoping to go to Afghanistan to try to get in a fight. Mm. Well, you most certainly did. And
0: can I just say that uh, you can read all about it, uh, your book, uh, your book is just freaking amazing. Uh, if you haven't already read Into the Fire, first-hand account of the most extraordinary battle in the Afghan war, I encourage you to pick this up because I'm not even going to do it justice and I'm not going to try to even you know skip through it fast enough to get to all the highlights. But I'll I'll tell you one of the things I was completely taken with about the day in September of Ganjagal um, is that when you were there, uh, you got to Kunar province, you were with Embedded Training Team 2-8, you were fighting alongside and training with Afghans and I think in my mind in the movies all we see is Yankee doodle dandy and team America and we're always fighting all the foreign guys but it's we're never shoulder to shoulder with them and you were you slept you ate you drank you hung with Afghans every single day to make this fighting force
1: yeah I mean look I think that a lot of people don't understand you know and I realize that after coming home a lot of people don't understand like what does the war in Iraq and Afghanistan mean? Like, they think that we're against Iraq and Afghanistan. And it's like, that, that's, not, that's not the case. We are against the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, the insurgents. We're actually on the team of Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think that, like, that's something that is a misunderstanding. So, yeah, I mean, I lived, it was four U.S. and 80 Afghans, and, you know, our, our mission was critical. Our mission is to, you know, basically train and advise them And I feel it's one of the most important missions over there to train, advise them, you know, the Afghan National Army on how to be better and be stronger and be able to take over their own responsibilities. The Afghans that that were with me were honestly, I mean, they're as close to me as, as the Marines that I served with.
0: All right, let's click pause real quick on this. And I just want to kind of set the stage for you about what went down on September 8th. It was near the village of Ganjagal, and Meyer had learned that three Marines and a Navy corpsman who were members of his squad, and they were his friends, well, they went missing, and they were being ambushed by a group of insurgents. First, he'd been working with these guys for months, and they were as close as brothers could be. We're talking about First Lieutenant Michael Johnson, Staff Sergeant Aaron Kennefick, Gunnery Sergeant Edwin Wayne Johnson, and Hospital Corpsman James Layton, Doc Layton. The valley they were going into for this mission with the Afghans leading the fight, it was surrounded by mountains. And even the Afghan soldiers said Ganjagal had bad, bad men. I mean, it was just known that like, local Afghanis didn't even want to go down there because they were so evil. As we're about to hear, the mission got complicated for a variety of reasons. With the Afghans leading it, they weren't quite as adept in battle as the United States Marine Corps. And as Meyer's about to tell us, He literally broke a rule, drove into the valley, drove towards Ganjagal. And as they're driving down these roads, um, literally saw Afghan fighters coming out of the woods, bleeding. He stopped time and time again, making four, five, six, seven trips in and out of this valley just to get these guys out of there. And he was doing it under a hail of gunfire because the insurgents had the higher ground. So they were firing down on him the entire time. He literally thought he was going to die every minute. When he finally gets into the village of Ganjagal and finds the building where his four bros were pinned down, he realizes that they're dead. They've been stripped of their weapons, body armor, and radios. And it was there he saw a Taliban fighter. A scuffle broke out, and Meyer eventually grabbed a baseball-sized rock and beat the fighter to death. With the help of the Afghan fighters, he moved the bodies out of the area, and during the search, Meyer personally evacuated 12 wounded and provided cover to another 24 marines and soldiers that escaped certain death that day because of his actions. The firefight that afternoon was one of the worst in the history of the war of Afghanistan, and it underscores why Dakota Meyer not only received the Medal of Honor, but is just one of the baddest warfighters that the Marine Corps has known. We'll jump back into the interview right here. Your book gets into it in great detail, but essentially, you know, we learn from your writing that uh, uh, the ROEs, the rules of engagement, were kind of screwed up. You weren't allowed to, like, shoot at buildings where you couldn't determine if there were civilians in them. Uh, You didn't always know who was in command. There were radio frequency issues with everybody talking on basically the same phone line all at the same time. Yet these guys charged up in front and were ready to go take the fight to those terrorist bastards. And uh, it was you who hung behind that eventually said, hey— you actually disobeyed an order to go get into the fight and to go try to find your brothers that were pinned down.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, so basically they, you know, my team had gone in there with them and they took me out of my team for this mission and I was back and uh, I requested to go in there when I knew the situation was bad and, and I was really worried about my teammates And, um, you know, I was, we were told no. And so me and Rodriguez Chavez, we, you know, we took it upon ourselves to go in and because that's, I mean, that's what brothers do for one another. I mean, you know, you you don't, that's just, that's just, that's just just part of the brotherhood. Mm -hmm.
0: What was one of the things you learned about that on that day that sometimes management doesn't always get it right. Is that true? Like they were, they were resistant to allow you guys to throw heavy fire at the village where these guys were trying to, you know, take out the Taliban, uh, they were resistant to doing it because there was some rule on the books that said like, you couldn't shoot at a building where there might be a civilian.
1: You know, that, that's what happens whenever you, you try to standardize everything, right? Like when you try to make a blanket rule, you know, and then, and then people can't think for themselves. I mean, this is, this is, this is a bureaucracy at its best. Uh, you know, when people can't, I mean, I listen to people all the time, and it's like when they can't think for themselves, when they let a a rule or a restriction govern everything and not use common sense. You know what I mean? It's like it's about equivalent to you saying there's a one-lane road and a fire truck's coming, but you don't want to get over the shoulder because that white line on the side right there is there is there. You're like, I, I can't cross that line. Like, I know no way. There's, that, that, that would be totally, totally wrong. I'm going to just sit here because I don't want to cross that line. Like people just don't think to themselves anymore and they don't, and they do that so that, and, and, and it comes down to in the military, like with our situation, it comes down to no one wants to be held. Like no one wants the responsibility. You know, we're, we're, we're always trying to pass the responsibility and the blame onto someone else instead of just making our own decisions. Mm.
0: And it's a damn good point. I also will give you the analogy of like the VA doesn't do research on cannabis right now because it's against the law on a federal level,
1: you know? They, yeah. Well, I mean, we could, I mean, we could get into, I mean, the VA, I mean the VA is about, you know, <laughs> it's about, it's about, you know, when I hear people say, Oh, I want, I want uh socialized healthcare. I'm like, well then go to the VA. Like, you want to see how well that works? <laughs> like, come on. Like the VA is probably, it is probably the most messed up organization Probably on, definitely in the United States of America. I mean, it is it is it is a uh, it, it's terrible. I mean, it is a uh, you know, the Congress Congress works better than the V.A.
0: Mm. And that is saying something, brother, because, yeah, my example was to show even just how piss poor Congress was at reacting to the legislation a year ago saying, OK, V.A., the handcuffs are off. Go ahead and research cannabis. And they're like, well, we can't. It's hard. It's illegal. It's federally illegal. Yeah. It's, it's just come on. Stop making rule. Stop letting rules get in your way of doing the right thing. And I'll tie back again to the story here with, um, you know, why you received the Medal of Honor. You didn't let rules get in the way that day. And although it came at a hell of a price, and we'll never forget the sacrifice that your four brothers made uh, that day, and the fact that you went back to retrieve them. You didn't let rules get in your way, and you were one of the damn best medics on an ambulance trip in and out of hell seven times or, you know, however many times you went in and out of that valley, uh, just kept getting guys and bringing them back, getting guys and bringing them back on that day. You said something else in another interview, and I'm going through my notes here. You never expected to get out of that situation that day alive. I think the term you used is you were the 50 Cal Rodriguez Chavez was the Humvee and you guys were just waiting for the blackness to come. Is that like you really thought for all of that afternoon, that's your last day on earth?
1: I never thought that I'd be staying here today. Yeah. I mean, I never, I never thought that there was a chance that I would be, that I would be here. I mean, I like that's, that's probably the weirdest part about, you know, about the whole day is like, I, I seriously never thought I'd make it out of there alive. Hmm. I saw the thing on 60
0: Minutes most recently, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But when you described it there on 60 Minutes, you know the bullets raining down, and you're in a you're in a you're manning a 50 cal on the top of a Humvee. I mean, like, yeah, I didn't think you'd ever get out of it based on that description. And uh, you know, fast forward to 2011, uh, you did get out. You were able to return to the states. Uh, you guys were honored, and certainly, you know, you could never get enough honor uh, for what occurred that day. You got the Medal of Honor. The first two questions I had were, where exactly were you when you found out?
1: I was actually in, I was in Atlanta at an event. And I, I can remember exactly where I was standing. I was standing on a dock in in Atlanta about to go out on a boat.
0: Uh, second yep. second question I have about that is, uh, you had a beer with the president. and yeah. Or you'd requested to have a beer with the president. And, you know, I know all these ceremonies, you know, their pomp and their circumstance and everybody's in, you know, their dress blues and it's all cameras going off and everything. And it's kind of ceremonial. Uh, frankly, I think for an enlisted guy like you and me, it's probably not that much fun, <laughs> right? I mean, you're in a fancy no, ass room. Um, it's terrible. But when you, did you get the beer with the president and and were you able to like
1: shoot the shit with him r- really raw and candid? I would say that, you know, I mean... Barack Obama is one of the most, you know, relatable guys I've ever met. I mean, he was a really nice guy. I politics aside, I mean, he's a personal man. I mean, he's a he's a really nice guy. Did you guys so, I mean, yeah. Did you guys yeah, talk I football
0: tried, or did he actually bend your ear or ask your advice on the war or anything like that or or was it just no, real I mean, casual? No, we just
1: talked. We just I mean, we just talked um we just talked about whatever was going on. I mean, you know, I, I asked him, you know, I asked him like know, whether you agree with his politics or not, I mean, he's successful. Hmm. So I was like, how, you know, how do you, how do you get, I mean, that's what I like to ask. Anytime I get in the presence of of people who've accomplished, you know, the type of accomplishments he has, I always like to ask him like, what, 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 what got you there? And I mean, that's, you know, he honed in a lot on education and things like that. And, but he's just a really personable guy. I mean, sweet. What kind of beer was it? Can I ask? uh, So they actually brewed their own beer there. It's called the white house. Honey, Ale. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know what? They probably have to. Otherwise, there'd be, like, a huge problem with, like, sponsorships. You know, Coors Light would be mad that Bud Light's got it, and Corona would be mad they're not pouring, you know, Corona with a lime. <laughs> It'd be a whole... Oh, yeah.
1: There'd be collusion. I mean, the, you know, if you'd have to <laughs> start an investigation, you know, God forbid they'd just do their job. They'd we'd have to start a whole investigation. Right. How is it that Miller Light
0: is now being served yeah. in the White House?
1: Yeah. It. I mean, who? Oh, well, if you notice, the... Um, you know the secretary of defense's brother sister's uncle uhs cousin <laughs> drank two miller lights 17 years ago right. and was and was only uh 20 years old uh on, on her birthday night and she hadn't actually turned 21 because it was 15 minutes before she was actually born and that right there is an investigation uh that we should look into <laughs>
0: God, between the media and uh, social media, man, we just, we focus on all the damn wrong things. Uh, Oftentimes, the focus is on the wrong thing, and we look at the Medal of Honor, and it's, you know, for those that don't understand, I mean, it's glory, but I think most people don't understand is it's an award you don't want. Talk to me a little bit
1: about that. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, you know, the... And my teammates gave their lives. I mean, it's the worst day of my life. I mean, you know, most people, like, they join, you know, they go to the NFL to, to get a Super Bowl ring. I mean, you know, people, you know, they, they're country music singers to, to get a, whatever they get. Whatever, and, yeah, and like get a Grammy. CMA. Yeah, know. yeah, CMA, CMA right? Grammy, right, right, right. Nobody joins the military to get a Medal of Honor. Um, because the price that's paid for that is astronomical.
0: Yeah, and again, we could get into the details of call like a hundred different ways. Seriously, anybody listening to this, if you want to hear it it's dialed in and spelled out, I will gladly plug another podcast right here. But your conversation with Jocko Willink just really touched me, man. And, uh, you, you know, that, it, it, I've never been a warfighter. I've never experienced combat. And it is, you can taste it. Uh, the detail I want to get to next, and I think most importantly, because it actually ties into, ironically, the anniversary of that battle. Um, if you look at what is it, September 8th, I believe, was, was that day. Yeah. Um,
1: September 8th, 2009.
0: September 8th is also the beginning of Suicide Awareness Week. Yeah. And after you receive this award, and after you're home for a while, and after you're doing your thing, and you're, you know, transitioning, and, and, and you're living life as Dakota now, growing your hair a little longer, man, got the beard going, you're, you're, you're you know, you're home. Um, yeah. it wasn't easy and it wasn't good. And you probably fought with yourself time and time again about that guilt over, you know, here you are being recognized and your bros can't even share in it. Cause they're, in, they're not here. And I'll read a little bit here that I just learned, uh, that, uh, it was about a year after, I guess, Conjugal, and you know, you're deep in the cups at a friend's house, probably having some, uh, probably having some Kentucky Chardonnay, right? little, little, uh, yeah. little bit of the dark liquor. Um, And you drove to a buddy's shop one night and you'd always kept a Glock pistol with you. Yeah. And somehow or another, the Glock pistol ended up being unloaded. You didn't know that, but you sat in that parking lot and share with me what happened next.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was coming home one night and I mean, I was like, I was a train wreck. I mean, I was like, I could see around me that I. You know, I was a burden on on a lot of people, Um, you know, especially my father. And, um, you know, I just, I wasn't wasn't living. I was just surviving. And um, and, uh, as I was coming home, I was like, you know, I'm just done. Like, I was done. I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, this is not a way to live. Uh, basically just feeling sorry for myself. And I pulled over on the side of the road and my buddy shot because, you know, I didn't want my family to look for me or anything.
0: Right. right. Um, how were you feeling? Were you still heightened and uh, constantly hyper aware and paranoid? And were you just becoming kind of a miserable person to be around?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just miserable to be around. I mean, I was angry. I was, you know, I was nasty, um... I just like, you know, I would, I mean, I would say mean things to hurt people. And, and I just, I I just, you know, basically I was, I was, I was, I was the victim. I made myself the victim. I, you know, you you don't understand what it's like. You don't get it. Right. Like as everything was worse for me. I became this entitled little, you know, I was, you know, I I was glorifying, you know, being the victim Mm. and. Becoming everything uh, that you didn't like. Yeah. 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 I mean, and so. You know, I was just always trying to out victimize people, right? Like, oh, well, you don't know what it's like to watch your friends die, blah blah blah. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just. Yeah, I look back yeah. at it, it's, it's, it's just chip on my shoulder, and then I, you know, I fought for this country. This country owes me, and it's like this country don't owe me. Shit, you know what I mean? Like, people paid their taxes and they paid me to go fight, and I also volunteered to go fight. So I just, I was miserable, and I, you know, I took it out on everybody else just because I didn't want to. I was lazy and, and so I just pulled over and you know, I, I stuck a gun to my head and squeezed the trigger and somebody had unloaded it that night.
0: Wow. It's a situation so many people have found you know, have found themselves in. And frankly, too damn many warfighters have found themselves in that same driver's seat where you were that night. Um, after hearing that story and reading about it again, do you know who took the ammo out of it?
1: I mean, I think I've got an idea. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, I think I've got an idea. Hmm. Not
0: that it's important to the story, and, you know, certainly we may never know. Um, what I wonder about is it kind of segues into they're talking about these red flag laws right now about how, like, a family member or somebody that's concerned about somebody could say, hey, this person's, you know, not exactly right right now. They need some help. So, is there any way we could get the weapons away from them while they get the help and they get right?
1: The red flag laws are not like they're not something that this country needs. I mean, you can already do that. I mean, if if I have a concern about you, I can already call the authorities, and and you know, you go to a seventy. I mean, you know, what I mean, like they they already do that. So, like the problem with the red flag law is, is you go and you put that into place. It's not about like if everybody was honest, to Abe and didn't use this as manipulation that would be fine but the problem is, is is who decides who gets the guns or not you get a judge in there who hates guns already i mean you can see the the attacks from the democratic party of trying to take the same thing that keeps us free and like what if i mean what if i just called on you and i said hey like this guy right here said this like they come and take your guns today and then you're in You're in, you know, you, you, it's, it's up to the court to give them back to you. Like there is no, it's, it's guilty until proven innocent. Hmm. And you don't think there could be enough vetting done to make a good decision? I mean, mean, you imagine ex-wives, you imagine like, you know, the neighbor who sits here and well, I see so-and-so drink all the time. So uh, you should take his guns. Like, I don't, I don't feel safe with them. I mean, I mean, that would be like me looking like cars kill more people than guns. And like, if if I see my neighbor driving fast down the road, should we put a governor or take their Ferrari away? No, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Like uh, is red flag laws are, are honestly, it's just uh with all these gun laws, we have plenty of laws there right now. We don't have enough people to enforce them. And, and then you look at all these people who have done all these shootings, they're not necessarily law abiding citizens. So why would you think that <laughs> that putting another law in there that they're well, they they didn't follow the first fifteen, so they'll probably follow the sixteenth one.
0: Hmm, good point. Uh I was dying to ask you about this because I know I wanted to weave it into this suicide episode so closely because you really you turned the corner and got out of something that so many war fighters don't and I wondered if red flags would be a help to get there. And based on what you're saying, I can kind of see where it's not. I think
1: people giving a shit about other people is what gets this out. Right. But it also takes veterans. I mean, look, I've had plenty of buddies kill themselves. Um, it also takes them wanting to do it right. Like you can't be the victim and fix it. And this is the problem with America is blaming everybody else for their problems. Like I always try to come in and find some way to take some responsibility. Like if I, because the day you can take some responsibility and accountability is the day you have control to change it. As long as you're the victim, you don't have control to change it. Mm. Yeah, man. And so we're all too busy trying to out victimize each other, but with, because of one reason, I mean a lot of this PTSD stuff, like I see the guys walking around with the dogs and this and that, like the day you take PTSD away from them, you just took their identity.
0: Oh, it's becoming a crutch for them. It's becoming their mantra. It's becoming their... I mean,
1: when I see somebody walking up and they've got 100% disabled veteran hat on and they're walking with their PTSD dog, walking through with a big fucking beard, I mean, that's become who they are. I mean, their life became a VA appointment, a fucking hat that says, you know, 100% disabled veteran, you know, a disgruntled, or, or disgruntled veteran or, or whatever, dysfunctional veteran T-shirt and walking around with their dog that says ptsd dog on it don't touch and i mean that's that that's that's their identity so as soon as you take that away from them as soon as they get better you just you just took their identity
0: yeah well
1: you're forcing them
0: to go forge a new one and you're saying that like yeah sometimes these guys don't want to do you see that with the dudes wearing the grunt style shirts or the nine line shirts or are we as veterans Focused a little too much on the rearview mirror when we really should be finding a new reason to get some swag.
1: I like all the t shirt brands, right? I mean, I I like those, but they need to understand that PTSD, anxiety, being a Marine, being a veteran, like, that's a part of me. It's not who I am. Mm. Like, you can't get out of the military and being a former Marine or being a former soldier or being an Iraq war veteran or being a veteran, you can't get out of the military and your plan is to be a great veteran. Like that's not your identity.
0: Right. It's just one of many adjectives we could describe you with, but it's not well, uh, an exactly. identity. Yeah. It's yeah,
1: exactly. It's not who you are. It's a part of you. Mm. So cool to
0: hear you say that. Because I think your two cent spends like a nickel with some people, and I'm just really glad that uh, you shared that. Uh, you've also shared words like sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, and
1: sometimes in the and middle of nowhere. Sometimes in the middle of nowhere you
0: find yourself. <laughs> I love that phrase, brother. Is that what happened in the truck that night? Kind of like when you realize, like, look, uh, I pulled the trigger; it didn't work. I'm gonna put it in drive and drive away. Uh, did Did you know at that moment that, like, okay, it's got to change, and I'm gonna be the one to change well, it?
1: Well, you know, you know, you know what I did is, I like no, I made a deal with myself. Look, if it's really that bad, rack it back and put the put the gun to your head and get it over with. But if you drive out of here and don't look back, like stop being selfish, stop putting yourself first, stop stop using all these you know these trump cards just because you don't want to look in the mirror and fix yourself. Like no, Dakota, you weren't a drunk asshole. Like it had nothing to do with my friend's dying. It had no- that was just me making poor choices and me not want, wanting to deal with it. There's got to be some accountability in this, right? You can't walk around and treat people like shit. you can't hurt your loved ones and blame it on war, you know? And what, yeah. I, what the realization that I came to was this is if I had seen that that's so bad that it messes me up like this because I watched my buddies give everything they gave their today for my tomorrow. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen firsthand the sacrifices that men have given and women have given for us to live a, a great life and to be free. And every day that I go out and I just sit around and drink and be an asshole and I don't make the most of life, then I'm doing nothing but dishonoring their sacrifices. The same thing that I walk around and point at every civilian and beat everybody down for, I'm being just like that. Mm. So I can't sit here and walk around and pull the PTSD card from combat because losing my friends and then still not living a life that's worthy of their sacrifices.
0: They would want us to be living the There's most. There's not
1: one person they- that died for this country that would sit here and say, you know what? Go home and be a drunk asshole. Treat the people that love you like sh-. Don't, don't, you know, stay in your house. Don't go out and live a life like, like, like ask yourself. I tell these veterans all the time. Ask yourself one question every day. Am I living a life that's worthy of the sacrifices that's been given so that I can live another day? And if you can say yes, would they be proud of me? Yeah
0: just, like, insert the name of your bro right there. Would I be living the life? Like, I think about it for my buddy Ronnie. You know, took his last step in uh, Hellman province. Um, Love him to death. And I know that when I'm driving in my truck and I hear offspring, Ronnie wants me to roll down the windows, crank that up and speed a little bit down a country road whether it's august or december he wants me to like you know embrace it and because you know that's that's what we did together man i'm so glad to hear you say that Uh, i also wanted to touch base real quick before we ring off um you did get a little bit of help in something that i think is groundbreaking and it occurred here not too far from where i'm talking to you uh right now um annapolis maryland i believe yeah. Dr. Sean Mulvaney and this thing called the stellate ganglion block, it's basically a stick in your neck. They put a needle in your neck. And that, first of all, just sounds like something a crazy Marine would do because I'm not certain I'm, I am would want a needle in my neck. But what the hell was that process? What was it and what did it do for you? Because I saw it on 60 Minutes, bro. And like literally, you, you physically and visibly looked different after you got a needle in your neck.
1: Yeah, I mean it's um it, it's incredible. I uh, basically it's called a stellar ganglion block, and they put a, a shot in your neck. And and what it does, it's kind of like a reset. It, it I mean it it was like when when he the first time he did it. I mean every time he does it, as soon as the needle comes out of my neck, it's like it's like you took me from being in a downtown New York. 10 minutes late in rush hour traffic to a meeting that my life depends on to immediately driving down a quiet country road with nowhere to be. And it's that instant hits you. I mean, instant. It's instant. Wow. Yeah. Did it
0: hurt just out of curiosity? Did I mean, no Mm -mm. No needle in your neck. And it's not yeah. drugs, because that's what I was kind of no. a little bit confused by. They're not injecting a medicine, or they're not putting... I mean, you're not taking an opioid or anything. They're just, what? They're just affecting that, that ball of nerves right there yeah. in your neck to reset so basically your
1: brain? What it does is, like, here, here's... The, so you have two systems, right? You have a, a nervous system. You have an automated nervous system and a manual nervous system, right? Okay. And so, automated nervous systems like breathing, like blinking, things like that, uh, your manual nervous systems like I, I want to pick up this cup so i reach like my brain tells my arm to reach down grab this cup pick it up right that's your manual side but what happens is is your fight or flight is supposed to be in your manual side like oh i recognize this i process it this is a threat so now i go into fight or flight right right well what happens is a lot of times is that gets caught up you've been in those for so long that my body your body's like oh well that should be an automatic response kind of like if you take someone who has every time you walk up to an animal and you smack it well the first thing that it does you walk up to it again and to give it a hug what's it going to do it's going to think you're going to smack it right your, your yep. brain your, your brain kind of it does that it, it, so what happens is this gets in there so when you get this shot it, it's kind of like an app on your phone like what do you do if your phone app stops working
0: Ah, uh, you got to, what, just delete restart it and start it. over? Or,
1: yeah, you got to yeah, close re- it and restart, restart it. right? So what this block does is it kind of resets your brain, resets that, that nervous system.
0: And it's amazing, after hearing you talk about the analogy between New York and a quiet country road, that it's almost that instant, because it goes to show you how much background noise is really going on in your brain after oh. a warfighter's been exposed to some heightened, heavy shit.
1: I didn't know then yeah, I could be that calm. Like the next day, I knew something was really different because I was staying in the shower and I was smiling. <laughs> just just for no reason, right? Yeah, no reason.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Of course, if I wanted to make a joke, I'd do it right there. I'd be like, oh, I know why you were laughing in the shower. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I'm <Ba-dum-bum.
0: laughs> The joke's in your hand. No, good stuff, man. I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, th- it's something I've reported on a little bit. I talked to General Baldick, uh gosh, a month or so ago, and he's a huge advocate for it. Um, with your experience, are you pushing anybody in government? Or are you pushing anybody in DOD or VA to get their shit together and make this kind of mandatory for warfighters that have seen, you know,
1: the worst and the heaviest action? Well, the VA will never get its shit together. Like, the VA is programmed for you know, World War II veterans, uh, they don't even do a real good job at taking care of Vietnam veterans. Um, That's true. The VA will be, I mean, look, my my predictions on this, I would do some betting. that By the time that my generation gets in a place to where we can start, we, uh, there's more of us than there is of, you know, the older generation, uh, the VA will be gone. The VA will be, um, like, I, I hope someday that the, the VA is nothing more than a um, Medicare, like, like kind of like a uh, nothing more than a an insurance company. Um, and so you can't, you can't. There's good luck. You ain't getting nothing done to the VA. Uh, you, you might as well go beat your head against the wall. Um, but hopefully we can get some of these nonprofits and stuff to yeah. to start taking over. And again, like we have so many nonprofits, the nonprofits are here because they are making up for the gaps in the VA. And
0: so many of them do that all the way down to, I've seen some people filling gaps now in social media with the likes of code of vets and a couple other charitable organizations that are just straight doing it themselves. You know,
1: like, let me tell you how messed up the VA is. The VA will give a service. Like they'll pay for service members, dogs, but they won't pay for still a stellar ganglion body.
0: Thousands of dollars versus what, I mean, y- you know, one office visit and a, Quick stick to the neck. Yeah. That's crazy, man. That is crazy. Um, Want to wrap things up here with... Uh, what's the name of your podcast again? I was just listening to it the other day. It is... Owning It with Dakota Meyer. Owning It with Dakota Meyer. Can I tell you one of the funniest episodes? And it probably... I shouldn't laugh at this, but I just found it... I don't know. It's uh, haha funny, but it was... It was mildly amusing at first, and then I, I got the lesson out of it. But it's the one where you ended up in the hospital. What the heck? You had brown pee...
1: I did end up in the hospital for six days,
0: <laughs> but you start off talking to uh, Crispy there about uh, your brown pee, and you guys were going to and from an event, and you came back and realized, man, something's really wrong. You're in, you're so sore, uh, you had to go to the hospital. Uh, long story short, you end up realizing that you've got these like protein levels in your blood or something that are like sky high, indicating that your systems are all jacked up, and it all came from an. Energy drink talk to me about what the hell happened and how an energy drink made you pee brown
1: Yeah, I mean look I I think it had a lot of factors to do with it But I was drinking an energy drink that was really unhealthy Um, What's it called? uh, We won't get into that Um, So I I mean I would just tell you like I would just tell you I I wouldn't drink bangs like bang energy drinks are not good for you Um, I actually actually talked to the CEO. He wrote me a message and he goes he goes well, it says only drink one and I'm like on the can, and I'm like, oh, it does. Like, can you show me where? Are you ready? I, I, you tell me if I'm wrong on this, right? Like, maybe I'm just an idiot. Like, when I, if you shouldn't drink more than one, like usually it says, do not drink more than one, right? Like in big letters. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I want to tell you what his excuse was. He said, "What well, says on it? Do not, do not drink this with any other caffeine containing." or do not consume this with any other caffeine, caffeine product. And he goes, when you drink the second bang, that's a caffeine containing product.
0: Yeah, that's tricky. That's not exactly, don't drink more than one or your pee will be Brown.
1: Yeah. Well, so anyways, I was drinking, you know, two or three a day and, um, yeah, I mean, rhabdo hit me. I got rhabdo and it rhabdomyosis. And look, people are gonna say, "Oh, well, it didn't come from an energy drink." Well, it, I mean, it can come from caffeine. It can come from you know uh, supplements, things like that. So yeah, I mean, it, it, like that's the only thing that had been in my you know that I was taking. I don't take I don't take a lot of supplements and things like that. I definitely wasn't at that time. You know, so I was in the hospital for six days. With uh, my levels were. My levels were uh, up near six figures of uh, almost 100,000, around 100,000 of a CK level, which it needs to be at zero.
0: And that's like a protein or something in your blood that's cranked yeah, out basically by... Yeah, what your... happens,
1: like, yeah, it releases protein into your blood to so yeah. CK level. So it's how we know that your
0: liver function or your kidney functions are working, and if that thing gets too high, something's up, and so instead of being zero, you were at 100,000. Um, yeah, crazy. Dude, I'm so. Yeah, crazy. I can't believe how many times you've lived. I mean, just from the beginning to the end, uh, you're here for a reason, brother. And I'm so glad that you continue to share with people. Um, your podcast is called Owning It. You can find it everywhere. There's podcasts. Uh, you want to plug a website? I, I, you've got websites. Go ahead. Yeah, go to
1: ownthedash.com. You know, check out check out the community that we have. Um, yeah. I mean,
0: you're here for a reason, and and, and I just can't help but feel in this last hour, I've really uncovered a a couple different reasons you're here uh, to talk about these things. And I'm just so damn glad I could share this with you and share it with our audience, because people need to hear what the hell you got to say. And um, any advice out there as we do look at September, as we do look at this month where we talk about suicide, um, what are the words of wisdom that you want to impart to the warfighters and the brothers listening?
1: I'll start with this. Like, if you think that nobody cares about you, like, I don't even have to know you, and I do. Um, you know, we got to stop, you know, we got to stop trying to, to push each other away. Like find, like if, if you connect with somebody or if you don't connect with somebody, it's all a choice. And, you know, if, if we can ever get past, like the one thing that all of us in America can, can connect to is, is look, we, we've all gone through something. Everybody, everybody right now in America, everybody on the face of this planet today, At this moment, right now, we can find a thousand reasons to to not be, you know, whether you're Democrat, Republican, we don't agree on gun laws, we don't agree on this, or blah, 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 blah. But I can tell you right now that there's everybody on the face of this planet today is going through something. They're all going through something. Every day, somebody's starting a new job today. Somebody lost their loved one today. Somebody's having a bad day. You know what? So so all I say is, is like, take a deep breath, step back. We're all going through something. And, and I know in the military where I connected with my brothers, my brothers came from going through something with them. And so go out there and connect with people. Mm-hmm. We're all here for the same reason. We're all at the end of the day, no matter what religion we are, no matter what political beliefs we are, no matter who you vote for, no matter what what God you pray to, at the end of the day, we are all just humans.
0: Yeah. And support each other.
1: Hold each other up. Life okay. is really that simple.
0: I love it, man. Dakota Meyer, dude. I needed this, man. I needed to talk to you today. You, you don't even know. Uh, I don't even know you, but yeah, uh, you know, you've made a yeah. difference. In the last 48 hours since I've been doing some research and just listening to a lot of the, you know, Dakota Meyer Greatest Hit podcast. Oh, man. Right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's cool, brother. Your words, man. Your words. Uh, your words feel good, man. And uh, I want Thanks, you to come buddy. back. Let's talk again sometime soon. Let's do it, man. Let me know. I'm in.